Like, that is insane how she was dead for only a couple of hours, but, like, her scent had already disintegrated. She was obviously cold to touch. So this is very, like, ASMR for, like, dead bodies. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> You know, when I first started this, I was like, oh, I, I was trying to see what else was out there. And then my initial thought was, oh, man, but my idea is not that original, quote unquote. But then I realized the whole premise of talking about it is to make it more normal, make it easier to talk about. So the more people we see doing it, I think just, you know, furthers my own mission or our own mission. You know what I mean? It's like exactly what we're doing, I feel like. So I, I just want to commend you for your own podcast, tell people to check you out. And I'll, you know, obviously share the links and everything below for you. But if you want to kind of, start off with, you know, about your story. That's why we're here and who we're remembering for you. So you can feel free to start wherever the hell you want. Absolutely. Well, thank you for having me. And yeah, I am Amber Jeffrey, the creator and founder of the Grief Gang podcast. And I realize what you say then, I kind of had that feeling of, oh yeah, there are other podcasts out there talking about this. But what's so important to remember, David, is like you are you are you and you have your own story and your own voice and way of storytelling that will appeal to so many other people. And I, I know full well, there's probably people who might listen to my podcast for the first time and be like, it's totally fine. And I know they might find another podcast that might be a bit oh, she's a bit sweary and might be like, bye-bye. And I'm not, maybe not for them. But that is more, you know, cover a turd in gold and this is grief and stuff like that. But like, I'm and I'm totally fine with that. And that's why I love all these podcasts that are like rooting out of the ground. Because for me, when I think about it, I think that's just another resource for people. It's fantastic. Whereas when I first started Grief and there was a very small pool of us. And so now people are just inundated with options. And that's just amazing to see. It's sad at the same time because these people are creating things out of such tragedy, but it's amazing. But yeah, to go into how I made my little tragedy into a little podcast. Um <laughs> tragedy and turning pain into purpose as we all like to say i yes i'm amber jeffrey i created the grief gang podcast and instagram page first back in september 2019 but a long time before that say a long time three years before that um i lost my mum sue valentine to a very sudden heart attack she was 51 and i was 19 my brother being about 26 27 and to take you to take you really back, yeah, it was um, a Friday afternoon. We received, I received a, a text and a phone call from one of her colleagues saying, um, "Amber, Amber, you need to call the police." And I was like, "What the fuck are you talking about?" And um, she goes, "It's to do with your mum." And I was like, "My first thought was she's committed a crime." It was never her oh, health. <laughs> My mum wasn't a crime yeah. person, but I just thought. Yeah. Oh, God, she had a temper on her. So I thought, oh, God, what's she done? What has she done? I'm going to have to bail her out. It was never, it was never, honestly, the thought that it was her health. And then I was like, right, but then if I just call the police, it's just going to go to the dispatcher. Like, uh, there's no hotline. For, like, what are you talking about? She goes, okay, give me your number and I'll get them to call you. I'm, I'm pretty, like, relatively chill at this point. I don't know. Thinking that my mum's committed a crime, I'm still pretty chill. <laughs> and this number calls me, an unknown number. I'm at my boyfriend's house. I think we're about to go out for the day. And um, it goes, hello, this is Officer blah, blah, blah. Um, this is Amber Jeffrey. I say, yes. He said, you know, okay, don't panic. Duh. Um, but your mum, she's had a heart attack. 
And all I can explain from that moment, Dave, was just like, the only way to describe it is like when you're watching like a war film, you know, someone's like hit by like an explosion, whatever it is. And just that ringing, it's the ring. Like when you've been like, your ears are ringing. And I just remember my boyfriend looking at me and being like, what's happening? I couldn't hear anything. I was like, what the fuck? And just like the, the, the coldness that came over me. And he said, right, we're going to send a police car to come and collect you and we're going to bring you to the hospital. It's the local hospital, be of your mum. So it was probably about 15 minutes waiting for this car to come and get us. And it felt like the longest time of my life. And they eventually come and get me. I'm trying to contact my brother and get through to him and be like, this has happened. Finally get through to my sister-in-law who has then got through to him. We meet at the hospital and we go into this kind of small family room in like the emergency room, A&E. And I meet my brother there and we just like collapse into each other's arm. We've not seen our mum at this point. We know nothing. We just know she's had a heart attack. We didn't even know how critical she is, if she's conscious, if she's unconscious, nothing. And doctors are coming in and out. They're saying, you know, we're just stabilising her. Um, you know, you'll be able to see her shortly. Don't worry. While this is happening, the word is getting out to close family and friends. They start now piling into this tiny, tiny little waiting room and just we're in the unknown at the moment. And then eventually they go, right, okay, you can come through to see her. And we walk through the A&E kind of triage areas. And in the UK, they kind of, from what I remember, they kind of colour code areas. So you've got like yellow, blue, green and red. And, you know, red is like significantly shit. And we've bypassed all these different like colour zones. I remember that. I, me- I remember that so distinctively. I don't know why. I was like, oh my God, what colour is she in? Um, and walking past all these colours and knowing right, we're heading to the really bad zone. Like, this is bad. This is a critical zone from now, what I know. And we go in, we pull back the curtain. It was like something out of like a like a casualty scene and stuff. There's like five doctors and nurses running around her, wires like pumped into her. Like, the, just the most traumatic image of your parent you could see in your life. And we're by her bedside again I can't hear nothing anyone is saying I'm just like fixated on her and looking at her and like what is going on and with the nurse being like she's got a lot of fluids on her chest that's what we're working on all this information they're plumping with us with and you know to give us the full picture and I was just like in that moment I went I I kind of told myself your mum's gonna die Amber your mum is going to die and almost wanted to set myself up for the the expectation and to not give myself false hope so once they'd stabilised her, they'd moved her into the t- intensive care unit. And we were in like a much larger waiting room here now. And loads and loads of family friends from up and down the country and now like flocked down. It, she was so critical and it was still very up in the air of what was going on. We were in and out by her bedside. So many of her friends were. And it was almost like we were kind of, people were coming down to say their goodbye. Although we hadn't been officially told she's going to die, but it was kind of that air in, of like... If people want to see her, they should probably come now. And we were like, right, okay. And they did. So many people came. So many people did. And that night, this is in June, so it was like a really hot, a hot summer's evening. We had our meeting with the doctor, just kind of of next steps, etc. And the doctor sits down 
And we're sat there, me, my brother, my mum's side of the family. And um, they're like, okay, next steps. Obviously, she's on oxygen and life-saving support at the moment. You know, the way she's looking, she looks a lot better than what she came in like. And what we will do maybe by Thursday next week, this is the Friday. So looking nearly a week in advance, um, we'll start weaning her off oxygen and see how she copes. So in my brain, I've gone shit, the doctor's like looking long-term. This is this is somewhat good. The pessimist in me is kind of weakening. I'm thinking, right, if doctor thinks she can survive a week, okay. And then he went, but we do have to acknowledge that if she does come through, she will not be in the same life that she was before. She will live in a vegetative state. And that's because the heart attack, yeah, she 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 was she was found in her car. I've forgotten to mention that. She was found in her car roadside and worked with a heart attack. Again, my medical skills are not right. Um, but with a heart attack, if it's a heart attack and it's not, you know, treated immediately, you go into cardiac arrest. And cardiac arrest is the one that will kill you. It will starve your brain of oxygen. Anything past four to five minutes is basically brain damage. So even if you are found and you are safe from the cardiac arrest, the damage is, is irreparable. So they said, yeah, she might survive and be able to breathe and live on like her own, but without support, but she's going to be in a vegetative state. And me and my brother, almost in a way, we didn't even have to say a word, so we just looked at each other and we went, we kind of made that executive decision then and there that that wouldn't be a life for our mum. And we decided kind of just with our eyes, like we knew what we would do if we were put in that situation. Whereas her side of the family were like, yeah, we'll look after her. We'll become full-time carers. We were like, you don't understand the gravity of that, of being a full-time, like this is a lot. So then the doctor, he says that, and then he goes, and you know, guys, well, miracles can happen. And it was something when he said that just brought my, like, the optimism of him being, saying, you know, till next week, maybe. It brought it right down, because I said, I said, we don't need miracles. Like, you saying miracles does not give me a lot of hope. Like, I need statistics and numbers that you think she's going to pull through. So when he said miracles happen, it just came crashing down. I went, yep, no, she's still going to die. So myself and my brother, we stay at home that night. Her two sisters wanted to stay with her overnight. Surprisingly, I got a night's sleep. I think I was just so exhausted. And I, yeah, we both went home. My brother went to the morn, uh, to the hospital first thing in the morning. I followed maybe two hours later. And we're driving, me and my partner were driving there. And I was driving. He didn't have a license at the time, Joker. And um, my sister-in-law calls. I know, how, how, how telling is that? Like, my mum is dying and I have to drive the car. <laughs> 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 like, I'm probably not in the best state of mind to be driving a car right now. Like, yeah, well, now. your ears are ringing, can't see shit. <laughs> literally yeah like I'm cr- <laughs> profusively crying all the time but anyway yeah not um, ideal we're, <laughs> we're driving and my phone rings and it's my sister-in-law my boyfriend he answers it being the passenger and he's looking out of the, the windscreen and he just goes yep yep okay bye hangs up he's not a man of many words but this was extremely blunt for him and I just knew in that moment, I was like, she's died. She's actually, she's died. I knew it because I said to him, what was it? And he went, just drive. And it was I the way I pedaled like foot to the ground to that hospital, got to the hospital, parked up, like flung him the keys to park it properly. Start running through the hospital, like passing like friends and family who were coming in, coming out. And 
running down and this hospital in particular has got really like long, long, long corridors. And I remember running and like my feet couldn't go quick enough. I was trying with all my might to get there, but it was almost like a dream when you're running in a dream and you just can't get there quick enough. And I turned the left corner to go down to the intensive care unit. And I see my grandfather, my mum's father, her sister and my sister-in-law stood there, heads are bowed down. And my sister-in-law, she comes and walks towards me and she's just shaking her head. And I go, she's died, hasn't she? She goes, yeah, I'm so sorry. And just, I remember this primal, like, scream coming out of me. Wow. And it's something I could, yeah, like, could never even try and emulate or replicate of just this inner, just oh, gutter, like just the guttiness of it and running into the family room where my brother was and just collapsing there. People are talking at me, trying to say what's happened. And I'm just like, our mum has died. And what happened was she had another heart attack in that morning where her body was just so extremely weak. It just couldn't sustain it this time. And so a couple of hours went by after where they kind of had to do what they needed to do with her body. And then eventually we were allowed to go in and see her. And this is the first ever dead body I've seen in my life. And now it's my mother's. And I went in with my brother and my mum's sister. She came and kind of held us through. I think she, she'd she been there when she died. And we stood by her bed. And a very distinctive point for me in re- really honing in that she was dead was the night before we left her before we went home kissed her goodbye told her I loved her hugged her and when I kissed her I could smell like her shampoo and like her scent like your parents scent your person's scent and her skin was still warm to touch she was alive still she was alive and when I went and stood by her body and I was touching her kissing her and I remember I smelt her hair and it had gone. It was so... Now I look back and I was like, that is insane how she was dead for only a couple of hours, but like her scent had already disintegrated. She was obviously cold to touch. So this is very like ASMR for like dead body. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh <my God. laughs> is that a, is is that a podcast but... for you? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I wouldn't. I love it. I hate to say I love it, but that's fucking ridiculous. <laughs> <laughs> And like I, I, I'm already like unfortunately envisioning the sounds of like of, of what's going on right I'm now. Dead so body. Like, I don't know if you ruined it or made it better, yeah, but go on. Yeah, like the, the, the <laughs> <laughs> yeah. listeners get a right picture of this, my mate. <laughs> and <Yeah>. just <laughs> the cold to touchness, yeah. And I was like, that was what made me actually like lose my shit and really unravel I couldn't smell my mum I really felt like a a baby cub and like my mum my mum where's my mum and that's when I realised she is dead like this she's not coming back from this and it's a very distinct moment and I'll try and say about that even crying but it's I it was again it was June so it's really really warm and hot and this is now the, the morning and above her bed, there were like these panels of windows that would... And it was a very sun-facing intensive care unit, which was quite nice. <laughs> good for <laughs> good you, I guess, yeah. yeah. Yeah, I mean, do they get like a suntan while laying in the bed? I don't know. Um, I mean, that'll warm them up. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> and um, we sat there on the bed and we, me and my brother just kind of like, okay. And all of a sudden, just these like beams, beams of sunlight start pouring in and like... 
not like around her and the bed. And I remember it just really moving me. And my mum's sister going, look, she's making her way up already. And I was like, wow, like, yeah, like she's, she's going. And now it's a very poignant part for me. And it's a part I'll always struggle. And I just, yeah, it was the finality of it, of shit, she's gone. And so we leave and so many of the friends and families now come in and say goodbye to her body. And then we were now catapulted into, right, we just go home and our mum's never coming back to it. Okay. And catapulted into life without mum. And um, yeah, I'm 19 at the time. I'm at a young age where I'm just trying to even figure out who I am just as a like a young woman and what career I want to do. And now I'm navigating this world without my mum and her guidance in that too. And so we held her funeral where she was born and raised in a seaside town in Norfolk. And it was a fantastic send off. And people in the hundreds came and both of my brother read eulogies. And I still don't know to this day how we did it. And so we embarked on this bereavement journey. And my brother and I, we did it very differently. And I think that's another thing in grief specifically to and I say I'm speaking from parental and, and sibling a connection is that you can be grieving the same parent but be doing it totally differently um your relationship's different with that person not say you know one best better relationship or maybe there was but I couldn't grasp for years how me and my brother were doing it so differently and we would butt heads on it like so bad And I became this huge fireball, just like roaming the earth, just raging at everybody and anything in it. Like, how fucking dare you for taking my mum from me? Like, you want it, you can all get it. And subsequently, I lost friends, a multitude of kind of like how I articulated myself or didn't and kind of their lack of support. And I ended up very lonely, very, very lonely. And that was around 2019 was probably my loneliest year. I had pushed every single person away because I hadn't actually tapped into, right, Amber, you're fully grieving. Like, you need to sort this out. And it came to the the summer of 2019 and I had pushed, like, a person away who I really thought would never, like, leave. Never. And that was a real wake-up call for me of... Um, but you need to sort your shit out because you're pushing people away at what expense now. And it became very dark very quick. Now I look back and I know I was suicidal with the thoughts that wow. I was thinking and that I almost used to downplay a little bit. I thought, no, I'm just sad. But sad isn't being in your car and wanting to veer it off the road and going, right, if I just do this, I don't have to live with this anymore. I can be with my mum. Granted, I've got so many people that I want to be with here on Earthside, but this pain is so immeasurable, I don't see a light out of the tunnel. And that's when I went, yeah, but that's not good. You need to speak to someone. And so I embarked on my therapy journey, my Tinder therapy dating journey. Yeah, you have to explain that one because that's a fantastic (laughs) description. (laughs) So this is where it's funny, guys. I swear it's funny. (laughs) (laughs) This is where it began. So I think as a society, we are very conditioned when kind of shit hits the fan, we go to therapy. And I still somewhat agree and somewhat not, but this is what I felt at the time. So I started 
going to like our NHS, National Health Service, and looking at what services they could provide for therapy and counselling. Unfortunately, in the UK here, the NHS is so overstretched and funding, the waiting list was just months and months. And I thought, I don't know what I'll actually do in that amount of time that I could actually commit suicide. Or sorry, not commit, but like take my own life. Um even that, even that me saying commit, like that's me unlearning so many things not to say. It's not committing suicide. It's not at all. So I apologise for that. So there was a really long waiting list. So I went, scrap that. Um, secondly, I looked at paying for it. And at the time, I just didn't have the funds for it. So I scrapped that. And so I, I looked on at online therapy. It was my very last option because I'm very much like an in-person. Well, I was at the time. And um, I went, right, let's give online therapy a go then. So I signed up to this like huge, it's a very large um, therapy site that is loved by many, loathed by me. And um, <laughs> <laughs> when I see people promoting it, I'm like, fuck those guys like <laughs> they did me dirty so they can get fucked um and <laughs> i've been yet to say their name i would never say their name just in case someone does okay. have a positive experience but i go on and it's like right it signs you up a sign that goes, Amber, tell us a little bit about what you're expecting and what, why you're coming to therapy. So I was like, blah, blah, blah. I want to die. Mum died. Blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, right, okay, Amber. Um, uh, tell us a little bit more about what you expect from therapy. And I was like, to not feel like I want to die. Duh. And so they <laughs> pair me up with this woman and she's like, okay, Amber. So she's asked me again more questions. And then she goes, okay, Amber, if you want to continue, that will be either like 200 pounds upfront or 50 pounds a month, blah, blah, blah. Very transactional, very a bit cold. And I just went off, oh, fuck off and signed out and never logged in again. But I knew in that moment, that mo- even just me even reaching out for the help, I felt like I'd hit a brick wall. I was like, well, that didn't work. But even me just actually going, okay, I'm I'm actually going to be open to looking for help. And for me, it was very hard. I was I'm still am probably very much a person who will only ask for help when I'm really at dire and it's something I'm working on. But I realised in that moment, I thought, I don't think I need like a singular one-to-one experience with someone. I need like a community. I need to speak to other people who just get it. And so I was going away on a holiday with my partner and I was like getting some podcasts downloaded to to get ready to go. And uh, I started throwing grief into the search bars and like loads, I'd say loads and loads, I could maybe, I think 10, 10 to 15 maybe cropped up. So I was like, okay, download a few from them, listened to a few on the way. And I was like, oh my God, there's people out here, like this is wicked. But there was just something that wasn't sitting right. I was like, oh, no one's really talking really what it's like to be like really young or be like a young woman. But just, I, was, I just didn't feel like I was being seen or heard in this. And so we're on this holiday and it was a god awful holiday, like bad tummies, the lot, card got swallowed, it was awful. But um <laughs> card got there. swallowed. Yeah, my boyfriend's card got swallowed, it was hilarious. <laughs> it's hilarious. <laughs> it was, it was great. He was yeah. not happy at all, but um it was funny. But the one we sat there and I it was really bothering me, and I went, I've got to do this. And I've actually got to do this. I think this is somewhere that I could fulfil this gap. And so I sat there and started brainstorming the name and immediately the grief gang came to me and my boyfriend was like, oh no, but you can't run away with the first idea you get. I went, yeah, I can, watch me. 
this, this, the same <laughs> strap line. I went, oh my God, Jaren, this will be the strap line. Welcome to the gang, the one you never asked to be a part of. And he was like, yeah, that's kind of catchy. And I was like, yeah. Yeah, that's nice, yeah. yeah. And then, so we came back from the holiday and hit the ground running. I started the Instagram page, shared it with all my nearest and dearest. And of course, I just loved and supported it. And and then I was like, right, let's start this podcast. I had no idea how to start a podcast. Like up all night, me and my partner looking at equipment. What do you do? What streaming platforms do you do it on? And I just went, I've got so much in my brain that I need to get out. Like, let's just do it and just see what the fuck happens. And so I did. I started sharing my story and just other little bits, experiences with friendships, family. And people started trickling in. And I was like, okay, like these are strangers now on the internet that are now interested in this. Okay. And then this real people. And what hunger came in to actually interview other people, their grief story was like. And so I kind of reached out to like friends of friends, all friends would be like, would you come on the show and talk about like your grief? And it did. And my first ever guest recording was with a friend of a friend in her flat, like on the floor with the kit and just like, do, yeah, just tell me your story from beginning to end. And I kept doing that. Then I got a bit braver and started traveling out and meeting strangers. I was very much like London based and meeting people all around London and taking me in my little rucksack around and interviewing people. And then a pandemic hit and everything went online. And at this point, the, the, the account is it's growing and it's growing and people are listening. And I'm like, shit, people are here. And we had to take everything online. And the pandemic for me was a moment to really stop and not only look back at kind of very much in its infancy then, but like, shit, what are we doing here? Like, we're creating something here. And it really gave me the time to stop and pause and think, right, what are my core values here at Grief Gang? And what do I want this to be? And I was like, I want this to be a community and a hub where everybody can come and find something for themselves. A resource that is available at their fingertips. And so... I took the podcast online and started interviewing people from up and down the country, abroad, spending more time being able to engage with my community online, having these conversations, basically treating the Instagram like an open dear diary. And people came in abundance and I couldn't believe it. And then within that year of 2020, there were opportunities that came to me that I couldn't have dreamt of like grief was being put on the map finally and that is down to COVID and the pandemic it was almost it shone this light and still does on death dying and bereavement but people are now finally ready to listen to us to listen to us to what it's really like yeah death is in everyone's face yeah, no one can avoid it now. And it's so, un- it's the uncomfortable conversation nobody wants to do, but we are facing it every single day. So it's about time that we start talking about it. And so there was like TV opportunities, magazines, and it was finally getting the recognition. Not even the recognition, I didn't want the pat on the back, the recognition, but I was like, this whole online community is now yeah. finally being put to light because that only means then that more people out there who are suffering can now know there is a whole community online at their fingertips. How fucking amazing is that? And so 
that's kind of like grief gang still now. I'm still dedicated to storytelling and telling people's stories. I'm very, I'm so intrigued in other people's stories, but I understand that I still have a story to tell and I still do. My community is so loving and embracing and supportive that I I know however long it is, however long I, if I go away and I come back and be like, yeah, sorry. They're like, don't worry, like it's okay. And <laughs> they they make me think, they make me grow I've grown so much they educate me I've met and now have friends from people from all different types of losses like mine is a maternal loss experience but I now have dear friends from the partner loss community baby loss sibling loss and you think it's so strange of how many how can you relate to something and talk about that because but the unanimous feeling of grief is it's the same for everyone no matter who you've lost or what you've lost actually at that and um it's fascinating i've made friends for life and now like a career path that would never have been on the map and now we're at a point where it's like nearly over 27,000 people who are here better support themselves grieving or support someone who they love who is grieving so it's been a wild fucking journey <laughs> well you're you're sitting in the middle of the front row seat right now so it, it's really cool what you you've done how you created this podcast seem from my understanding correct me if i'm wrong it seems like you created what you thought was missing and you realize there's so many other people that are touched just like you and it's also ironic how you know early on you said you and your brother grieve so differently but then you kind of correlated the community kind of there's like a foundation there so even when you do grieve differently because i don't think there's a right there's not a right way to grieve we all handle everything so differently which is kind of beautiful in some sense that there is that like there is that camaraderie and that understanding that even though you lost your mom, I lost my dad, so and so lost so and so, there is like a just an it's like one of those things. It's like a, an eye contact and a nod. Like you kind of it's mm-hmm. not the same pain, but it is the same pain in some so many ways. Yeah. So, did you find healing in the fact that there were just other people? Because you did you did mention I don't know if it was year three or at some point or th- throughout those first three years that you felt really alone, right? So. Was that part of your healing or that you that it felt, it, you didn't feel alone or was it also blended with other people kind of explaining how they got through their own grief? Both, I'd say, David. It's, um, yeah, those kind of first three years, um, I felt so alone, not only yeah, just in, in myself and alone in terms of my friendship circle and just people around me. And I, I now have the, like, the absolute privilege to say, like, I haven't felt alone for a very long time. And that's down to grief. Yeah, like I feel lonely, but that's like internal. That's internal with my own personal me and mum. But in terms of, I know I can hop onto grief and be like, oh my God, guys, this has happened. Or I'm feeling this. Someone will go, me too. And I'm like, oh, thank fuck, I'm not the only one. Um, <laughs> and it's, uh, but then yeah. also, so knowing that was there, knowing, okay, I'm not like an alien in my feelings was amazing. But then I was also so keen to see in, in my healing of like how other people did it too and how other people um, got through milestones, anniversaries, birthdays, even just how they yeah, look at their grief. Yeah, an absolute bitch. And mine's mine's coming up in June and it's, yeah, like it's six years and I'm thinking, wow. And But I've spoken, like, it's opening up those conversations. It will make you think, like people, for example, the biggest one for me that has changed is my view to therapy. For a long while, I was still like very, and like very hate, hate, hate therapy. And through Grief Gang, 
I've met actual therapists, therapists that have said to me, I'm recommending your podcast in the therapy room. I was like, whoa. Wow, that's okay. amazing. Yeah, and I was like, don't know if you should do that. You should probably have some legal <laughs> papers in there to say. <laughs> I don't know. I just always think, what? Like, what do you mean? You've told someone who has come to you who's maybe clinically depressed, anxiety, and you're recommending my podcast. Oh, my Christ. <laughs> I'm just like, oh, shit. And so, like, my view completely changed on therapy because of my community. And actually, but having that safe space to say out loud, I really hate therapy. And people going, this is my experience of it. And I realised, actually, I just had a really bad one. I was just very unlucky and had a very bad experience. And that, not all of them are like that. And it challenges me. It helps me grow even learning about people's losses who are just completely like not like my like baby loss, partner loss, sibling loss. There's something about it, just learning about it and how people cope and through tragedies that you think, whether you think they're like superior to yours or whatever that may look like. Um, I find it fast. I find human beings fascinating and how we survive, thrive, or even don't through through tragedies and a bereavement. Um it breaks my heart like a million times. Sometimes the conversations I have with people, but then it also inspires and invigorates me. Like some of the things people have been through and still get through their days. We're very resilient and fragile. And it's been my, and it still is my greatest teacher. The grief gang is. Yeah. Hit the, I think you hit the nail on the head. I think it's uh you know, seeing other people going through, you don't feel, you you feel, you don't feel like alienated. You don't feel alone. Mm. And then it kind of puts your situation in perspective. Like you said, there's not like a hierarchy of what someone went through, but one way I live my life, like, I, I think if I'm in a shitty place, I'm like, someone has it worse than me. And I, I don't want to like, mm. you know, calculate it like that. But sometimes some people have it fucking worse. I don't know how else to say it. So yeah. it's like, and seeing other people persevere, like all the guests mm. you're speaking to and seeing them get through what they got through, it, it is a shift of the paradigm in your mindset. Like, oh, if they... You know, these people are getting through it and that kind of shifts your perspective of when you don't see the light, that's okay. Because that's the hardest part is when you don't see the light. But little by little, mm. you know, I think you do start to see that light. And by hearing other people's stories of how they did, you know, that's therapy Absolutely. in itself. Yeah, and so. it's... um. My friend, another friend in 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 the the grief space, Poppy. She runs an account called the Grief Case, and in in one of the things that came from the lockdown was me and her started doing Instagram lives, and we started just hopping on there, doing lives, doing like topic chats, stuff like that. And I remember some like the the first comment or like one of the really comments that really stood out to me on the live was someone went like I've just lost my person and seeing you two laughing gives me hope and I remember it completely welled us up because we were she was like I felt like I'd never I'll never be able to laugh again or feel happiness so seeing you two who are two bereaved people who've both lost a parent as well like actually belly laugh and be able to talk about these things and get through a day like get through a day gives me hope and I said and that is the epitome of what grief gang is I hope when people come and they listen to the show they see that there is hope and that not every day is going to be good and rosy and like I'm very much in the mindset of sharing when I'm going through it as well of like I don't have anything really positive to say about the grief journey today it's a crock of shit and I feel like crap and 
I'm not going to try and put a positive spin on this actually at the moment. And it's the authenticity of it, which I think has made people, yeah, yeah. That's okay. And it's, yeah, and that's what people enjoy. And it's, I'm very conscious to not make it kind of, there's some things that are just for me to work through. And I'm thinking, I don't want to pick up the microphone today actually and share it, or I don't want to pick up the Instagram and share it. There's sometimes like inner healing and personal healing to do. But the times when I do want to share, like I, it's no question. I'm going to the community, and I'm like, I got something to say, guys. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they're gonna hear you. Mm. They do, and they well, and they I, hear me, and they listen, and they support. Mm. Yeah, but you're so authentic. I mean, I don't even know you, and you're you know all the way over there, and it's just it it just bleeds from you. So there's, oh. it, it makes complete sense as to why people are gonna connect with you. Thank you. You know, it, you're six you're six years down the line. It's and it's you know I feel like you've already noticed. It's just you continually evolving so you know one day mm. it's just honestly it sounds corny to say corny as shit but it's honestly one day at a time sometimes because some days you feel like this sometimes you feel like that but mm. i think you slowly start when you really zoom out you do see the progress you know if you think about yeah. your first few years to where you are now it's like oh there is progress and, and and life like my grandmother said to my mom one day she's like life is not peaches and cream uh, actually no sorry i twisted that up she said marriage <laughs> is not peaches and cream oh. but i related it to life so you know <laughs> That's a whole other conversation. Yeah, 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 exactly. Probably marriage <laughs> more than life. But um, yeah, so I, I don't know. I think uh, I think it's amazing to see that community and see there are so many other people that you're going to continue to reach that are everyone. It's, it's death. Everyone's going to deal with it one way or another, somehow or another, whether it's directly mm-hmm. with you or indirectly. It's like yeah. to make it more a little more comfortable and have a few laughs to me is... I think the way to go. And at the end of the day, I love comedy yeah. and want to laugh at death in his face. Mm-hmm. So. Death and taxes. Death and taxes. You're too. You're too <laughs> definite in life. And it's some people avoid time. taxes, so I think um, that's exactly. even more fun. Exactly. <laughs> you know yeah. I mean? Do you know what? Yeah. That's. Do you know what? They need to scrap I, that saying, don't they? Death and taxes. Because I'm like, mm, I mean, <laughs> we can look at the UK government and be like, yeah, no, taxes yeah, miss yeah, them. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, yeah. At least there's some ways you could work around that. You can't really work around death too often, but uh, like, I don't know. Um, mm. Amber, I, that, that's uh, thank you for so much for being willing to come on here. I, I love what you're doing. I think I think you're hilarious, and I think that's a perfect touch for this conversation. I think you're doing God's work in some way, but uh, I don't know if there's anything else you want to plug in. But I mean, from the bottom of my heart, I want to thank you for you know taking the time to chat with me. Oh, David, thank you. It's been great. I've had a rubber smile on my face, actually, because sometimes I do podcasts <laughs> and it's very sombre and like really, and I, I try and bring like the lightness to it. And I'm like, oh no, it's, this isn't the scene maybe for it. So it's it's really nice to come on a show and with a host that embraces that. But um, yeah, so uh, you can find me at the Grief Gang Podcast on Instagram and um, the likes of Twitter, Facebook, all that malarkey. Uh, I'm due to be launching my website soon, which will have a blog series on there. So if you um, are a bit of a writer or just feel like giving writing a crack, writing about your grief, come over, check that out. There'll be lots of writing prompts for you to get involved. I myself, even being a podcaster, I've actually found a lot of solace in writing. And it's strange, I never thought I would be. And it's um, 
it's really cathartic, I find. So come over there. And we're also starting a Patreon account. Um, so that means the podcast isn't going on there, but we're starting a separate Patreon account, myself and my friend Poppy that I said earlier, where we'll just be kind of having those more intimate conversations over there with like a book club and workshops and stuff like that. And that will be called Unpacking Grief. So come over. It's a lot to take on, I know, but just come to the Instagram. Any questions, I'm always in my DMs. But thank you so much for having me, David. Of course. We'll put all the links in the bottom of this uh, this episode's description. And I guess the next thing you have to let us know is when we're doing sound effects for the dead or the AMSL or whatever the hell it was again. <laughs> that's that's uh, 2023, so be on the lookout we'll for that. put that in the pipeline. Yeah. AS- yeah. Death ASMR. Love that. How funny. <laughs> so fucked. All right. Well, thank you guys for tuning in to another episode of Dead Talks and uh, welcome to the Grief Gang. <laughs>